Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to Give Them the Sports Biz. It is Dan Abone out in San Francisco holding down the West Coast. And like always, we are joined with the NFL agent extraordinaire. Say hello to Matt Marino out of New York City. What do you say, Matt? I say, what's up, Dan? It's been a little while, and we're uh, getting back into it. Uh, got some events, got some timely events coming on. So, uh, yeah. Good to be good to be chatting with you, man. Isn't it interesting? It's always football, football, football. Whether we're in football season or out of football season, football just seems to dominate the headlines. And that's why they're as popular as they are. And that's why they're a, depending on who you talk to, an 18 to 20 billion dollar industry and projected to be at 25 billion dollars a year, according to Roger Goodell in a couple of years. And that's because they dominate the headlines. And this week being no different. That's where we're going to kick things off. Talking about Julio Jones, the star. Wide receiver. I don't know if anybody's done it better over the last five to 10 years. And Julio Jones now, thanks to Shannon Sharp, and what he didn't know is a live phone conversation, live in terms of it going over on the airwaves, going not just airwaves, but network television. So he's now wants out and demanding a trade. He wants out of Atlanta. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion. And the Atlanta Falcons are willing to deal him. Talk about, first of all, what it's going to take if you're one of those teams, and there's a lot that are lining up, that you, if you want the services of Julio Jones, what is it going to require? And then let's circle back and talk about why Julio Jones initially wants out of Atlanta. But let's talk about, first of all, Julio Jones wanting out of Atlanta. And if you're one of those teams, what is it going to take to get the star wide receiver out of the University of Alabama? Yeah, you bet. You bet. Um, and like I always told you, you know, the NFL likes to uh, block off uh, the schedule, right? They want to own. They want to own time blocks of the calendar, and this is what they do. So this is why we're talking about the NFL in in, in May. Um, but you're right, though. It's going to take a lot. Um, the Falcons have wanted number one pick, first round pick, prior to the 2021 draft. Um, that's how he was being shopped. Um, you know, they wanted a 2020. They wanted a first round 2021 pick in return. And I think you know there is some difficulty there. Um, he's got a 15 million dollar base salary this year. Um, he's got a $23 million cap hit, you know, so that's, you know, when you add that into the fact that he was dinged up, uh, for 2020 for most of the season, he's had some, you know, injury played seasons before. Um, I believe it was 18 was the, was the other one. Um, nothing serious, but he's, you know, he's had some high angle sprains, you know, stuff that has lasted four or five games or kind of been nagging injuries. Um, and the fact that he's 32 years old now, um, it's going to be tough, you know, for a team to say, yeah, you know what, we're willing to give you a first rounder in 2022 um, for Julio and a $23 million cap hit. Um, now, if he's willing to renegotiate his deal, um, you know, that's something else. Um, I think then it probably opens up the, you know, his options a bit more. Um, and I don't know if he's got options um, or if he's got teams that he has uh, a preference for. Um, certainly the Falcons preference is going to be out of the NFC, you know, clearly, um, I think there's some teams that you can just, you know, are on the cusp of winning, you know, a team like the Niners uh, who have one wide receivers, the Ravens, the Packers obviously makes a lot of sense. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, uh, I think the Patriots makes a lot of sense. Um, so there are those teams that, you know, are willing to take on a veteran receiver, um, you know, at this stage of his career, that's just looking to win. Um, and I think there, that, that's a group of teams right there that are, you know, very close, you know, to doing so. Um, some more than others. When you say willing to take or willing to renegotiate his contract, are you referring to, 
to Julio Jones taking lesser money? Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Um, and I mean, that's not easy to do. Um, you know, one for financial reasons, uh, cause he's obviously coming towards the end of his career Two for, you know, um, you know, just your, you know, your, your mental capacity, right. Um, you know, here you are, you know, you're expecting to make, um, you know, X amount of dollars this year. Um, you know, he's making 66 over three years. Um, you know, and, you know, it, it might come to the point though, where a team says, look, you know, at 32, um, you know, we're not giving up a first rounder for a guy on a $23 million cap hit. Um, and the Falcons will have to then work with, with Julio's agent, um, you know, see if this is a situation that can be, that there can be a compromise reached um, just like they're, you know, just very, very similar to a contract negotiation, you know, when, when both sides feel like, you know, the other side wins a little bit. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's kind of the, the situation that they're in. Uh, maybe there is a team out there that, that Julio is saying, look, you know what, I am willing to take a couple million dollars less this year uh, to go play with them and, you know, have the possibility, have the chance of winning. Uh, so that's, you know, that's kind of where they're at. Let's talk about how this all came to be. And it's Julio Jones that wanted out, as we know, as I talked about having that that interview with Shannon Sharp, we can get into that if we have time permitting, but wanting out of Atlanta, I'm done. I'm not going back, paraphrasing here. How did it get to this point? And as we understand it, it's not necessarily something that happened over the last couple of months, over the off season, or even last season, but this all stemmed from his recent contract negotiations where they gave him a 60, was it a $66 million extension, I believe? Yep. During those negotiations, as in, Certainly, you're familiar with this better than anybody. That things are set. I mean, you're you're talking dollars and cents here, and you're trying to lowball them if you're Atlanta, and obviously if you're the attorneys and or the agents representing one Julio Jones, you're trying to create value. And obviously, things are said, and apparently, something got out of the bag that that didn't sit well with Julio Jones. Can can you talk to that a little bit? And, and being in those sort of negotiations, just just how volatile can those things be? And is there sometimes regret on the part of things that are said and obviously things that stay with a player like that of a Julio Jones? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and you're correct, right? You know, you, you, you can't always put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, but really this stemmed from 2018, I think this started. He, you know, he sat out training camp in 18 um, and was about to sit out training camp in 19. And the, the Falcons owner, Arthur Blank, basically said to him, look, you're getting a deal. Um, now I know that deal did take some time. Um, and you know, I don't think both sides, either side came away very pleased with that deal. Um, but one of the things that, that kind of comes into the mix now is that, you know, the new GM, uh, Terry Fontenot, um, head coach, Arthur Smith, um, you know, they weren't part of that group, part of that staff that, that negotiated the deal. Um, and you know, they're inheriting Jones and his contract along with the rest of the roster. Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, they might have a different view of it um, than that group that negotiated the deal. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one kind of wrinkle to put into it. And, and certainly, um, you know, look, I don't know what was said during those negotiations, um, but you want to be, you know, negotiation is, is, is quite difficult. Um, there are, there is some, some apprehension always, um, but you're trying to find a solution that can be, you know, essentially a win-win for both sides. And usually there's some loss with that win. Um, and, you know, if both sides came away, 
just like, oh man, you know what? This just sucks. You know, we don't, we're not loving this deal. Um, you know, it just kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Um, and certainly, um, I don't think from a performance standpoint, the past three years have probably gone as well for, for both Julio Jones or the Falcons. Um, you know, certainly not, um, what they expected, um, with the talent that they have on their roster. Um, so I think now you're just looking at a situation where, um, it is probably best that they, they part ways and say, look, you know what? Um, you know what? If I'm Julio, I want to get out. I want to have a chance to, to win. Um, you know, the, the new GM um, and new head coach, Smith and Fontenot, you know, they might not have him in their plans for, for past this year. Um, so it, it's, it's good for him to get out while he can. Let's go back, as I mentioned, how this whole thing came to fruition. And it was first take. That's the show involving the former wide receiver, former tight end of the NFL, Shannon Sharp, and, of course, Skip Bayless, formerly of, of ESPN. And they were going back and forth. And Skip Bayless was talking about the Dallas Cowboys and Julio Jones would be a good fit in Dallas. And, and Shannon was like, no, nah, he's not going to Dallas. And he says, you want me to prove it? I'll call him up. <laughs> calls up, obviously, for those of you that aren't familiar with the story, calls up Julio Jones, who's just rolling in his, in his rig somewhere. And, and asked him point blank, do you want to go to Dallas? Julio doesn't forewarn him that he's on live TV. Yeah. And then, of course, the rest is history with Julio Jones basically saying, well, I'm not going back to Atlanta. And I'm paraphrasing here to remember exactly what he said, but, but that's the gist of it. And this is how this whole thing came about. If you're the agent representing Julio Jones, would you look to take any sort of legal issues or would you, have a, would you go after either Shannon Sharp or Fox legally? Because now... There is obviously, this is all about leverage, right? And if you do want out of Atlanta, you don't want to be looking like the guy that perpetuated the trade. You don't want to be the bad guy. And if you're Atlanta, you can sit there and say, well, you heard him say it. He wants out. What can we do? Our hands are tied. So now we've got to move him. So you save face with your fan base. You're the guys that, that look good in this situation. Meanwhile, you're, if you're Julio Jones, essentially, you know, you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Would you look, first of all, to take any sort of legal issues with that of Fox and or Shannon Sharp? I, I don't, I'm not an attorney. I don't know who has culpability here, yeah. but talk about that. And also, if you could discuss just about how that whole thing went down and whether it's something that the sort of issues you would have as a guy, once again, representing an NFL player where the news was broken that way. You know, so from a legal standpoint, you know, I, I don't know what can be done there. Um, you know, I know it's, look, it's not, um, it's certainly not kosher. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a cool thing for Shannon Sharp to do that, put him on the spot like that. Um, you know, the one thing I think about is, look, was this something that was planned out, right? Was this a way to open that cookie jar, you know, so to speak? Um, and I don't know. I have, I have no, you know, idea, but that's just like kind of the, the skeptic or the cynic in me, right? Saying, hmm, you know what? seemed like that would, that went down a little, you know, a little bit too easy almost, um, you know, but from a legal standpoint, um, no, I, you know, I don't think there is, there is much uh, that can be done um, on behalf of Julio Jones. Um, well, you know, there I, is depending on what state and it happened in California, that's right. where Fox Sports is out of. And obviously you have to forewarn somebody that you're that being recorded. Yes. Phone call, and especially if it's going, out live on television, there has to be some sort of pre-discussion. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, from a, from, I guess from what you would say, you know, I don't know if the, what I was trying to get to was, I don't know if the, the public perception of that, right. Is, is worth it. Um, you know, because I, I think you want to find out or you want to see what, 
the end result is um, for Julio Jones first, right? Um, certainly, um, you know, what Shannon Sharp did was, was not, was not a professional thing to do just in any state you're in. Right. Um, and like you said, you know, certain States had the one way feature. Some, some of them don't. Um, and depending where Julio Jones was as well, I guess maybe it, that comes into it, but no, I think the, the bigger part of it is that, um, you know, was this something that was planned out? Like, you, you know, you know, was it something that was, a little bit, uh, re- not rehearsed, but a little bit talked about saying, look, you know what, we can, we, maybe we can get Julio Jones moved. We do it the right way, or we do it this way. Um, we put it out there in the world. Um, uh, maybe it can happen quicker. Maybe it can happen, you know, um, you know, uh, before the, uh, uh, I guess, well, not before the draft, but I guess before the, you know, the G1, um, you know, threshold. So, you know, I don't know, but I, I'm certainly a skeptic there with, with how that all, you know, took place and, you know, if I'm Julio Jones, you know, I, I don't know his personality, but I'm certainly, if I'm his agent, I'm calling up Fox or, you know, um, you know, probably sharp directly and just saying, look, man, you know, what's going on here? What, what, what are we trying to, uh, what's the agenda, right? What's the agenda there? Let's talk about a different kind of football, football, La Liga, English Premier League, something you're more familiar with than I. What I found fascinating and something we were talking about before we went on air and sort of the the dissimilarities between the way coaches are treated, whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball or the NBA, maybe if you could explain in detail about what is occurring right now and what typically happens in, and you can pick a league, English Premier, for example, when some of the bigger name coaches are either fired or reach some sort of a a contract uh, head with a they're not willing to go any further. Pass, yeah. Talk about what happens oftentimes involving coaches, contracts, and money. Well, yeah, I think it kind of, well, look, and this is one of the things that, you know, you you've probably people have seen in the news recently, you know, the European Super League, you know, all the money that was going to be invested into that, um, you know, for these big clubs, you know, Chelsea, Manchester City, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, Inter Milan. Um, and one thing that, you know, would be such a, uh, a smart dynamic or a, a smart business move by these, by these clubs and these owners, um, you know, that are throwing hundreds of millions of dollars, um, you know, essentially away is that, you know, when a club, you know, fires an owner, I mean, sorry, when a club fires a manager um, or when they reach an impasse, like has happened recently, um, Antonio Conte, for example, just won the Serie A title with Inter Milan Um he decided not to stay on because he didn't him and the owners didn't agree on the project for next year. Um, and he's going to be given $7 million to walk away. Um, Jose Mourinho recently at Tottenham. Um, I think he was maybe out of work for about four days before he, when he was fired from Tottenham and hired by Roma. Um, you know, so his, his deal with Tottenham, his, his negotiation with Tottenham um, over his severance was literally just done. And he was, doing a deal at Roma, um, four days later. Um, so, um, you have a club like Chelsea who has, you know, an oil billionaire as their owner. Um, but over the last decade, he has paid managers, you know, 110 million euros, um, who have been fired, right. He's paying four right now, um, including the current manager. Um, so he's still paying, managers going back to 2015 and we're in 2021. Um, you know, so 
you know, one of the things that I think these clubs, you know, need to look at is, is just the way they do their business. Um, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, compare it to major league soccer, but certainly compare it to other North American sports leagues, the NBA, NFL, you know, major league baseball, um, where, you know, there, there is, you know, obviously look, you know, in the North American leagues, there's a little bit more of a, um, a little bit more patience, I would call it, uh, with a coach, uh, than certainly with managers over in Europe. Um, you're talking about, you know, like I just said, uh, you know, Antonio Conte, who won the, the Serie A title and he's done, he's out, um, you know, because of a, you know, a business decision, uh, by the ownership group, um, you know, Zidane Zidane at Real Madrid, you know, has won, um, a number of La Liga titles for them, uh, you know, four champions leagues. Um, and, you know, his decision was more to resign. Uh, this is the second time, you know, his second stint as a manager there. Um, you know, I'll give you another example with, you know, Mauricio Pochettino, uh, he was fired from Tottenham last year or about a year and a half ago, um, out of work for, for some time hired by Paris Saint-Germain. Um, you know, I think he was paid nine, 10 million euros, um, and Tottenham, you know, after firing Jose Mourinho, wants to hire Mauricio Pochettino back. It's like a soap opera. Um, it's, it's literally these, these big managers are just being recycled by, by the big clubs. And, you know, when one says, all right, look, you know what, we don't want to pay this guy 14, but we'll pay, you know, kind of his, uh, heir apparent 10, um, we see ourselves saving 4 million euros, you know, they're just a better way to go about it. Um, you know, so I, I think actually, uh, looking at the the North American model quite a bit um, would help some of these English, not just English clubs, but European clubs, um, you know, especially with what they've gone through in the past, you know, year and change during the pandemic um, and losing hundreds of millions of euros. Before we get out, I'd be remiss. Speaking of soccer across the seas, across the pond. If you, if I didn't get your, your input, your two cents on the super league, first of all, how that came about how it was quickly dissolved. And now there seems to be this sort of bias. I know of people that are from this side of the pond that are looking to purchase a European soccer team or a team in La Liga or the English Premier, but their origins are from the United States. Do you think that there is this sort of scarlet letter going forward now that if you are a potential owner and your address or you're from the United States because of what that coup, that that attempt at trying to create that super league that, as I understand it, was predominantly done by American owners. Yep. Is that sort of a, a stain on people from, from the United States trying to purchase a team in, in the European soccer leagues going forward, do you think? You know, I don't know if it's a complete stain or if it's, you know, I know one thing that has rubbed a lot of clubs the wrong way are is the private equity and hedge funds. Um, I think actually, I mean, I know actually the Bundesliga who operates on a 50 percent plus one uh, ownership uh, basis, similar to the Green Bay Packers, um, has uh, declined to take any kind of private equity or hedge fund money. Um, you know, they, they actually put a rule in place about that. Um, I do think with the Super League, yes, there was certainly an American, uh, North American kind of a, a slant to it, right? You have Liverpool, who's owned by John Henry, um, you know, Manchester United by the Glazers, Stan Kroenke at Arsenal, um, you know, you have, uh, you know, a couple, um, Italian teams, Inter Milan, uh, who are owned by a Chinese group. Um, AC Milan is owned by LA Capital Management, another U S group. Um, and I think 
outside of the Super League, you know, you probably have about four or five other clubs that are owned by certainly in Italy uh, by by Americans. Uh, there's just kind of it's really been an influx there. Um, but I think just from an overall standpoint is that um, a lot of these clubs, Manchester City, uh, you know, as well, um, you know, they're owned by foreign groups wherever they are. And yes, this was obviously predominantly an American coup, I guess you would call it. Certainly correct in that is that, you know, they saw an opportunity to, to secure, um, you know, their finances and say, look, you know what, um, you know, we're, we're going to run this like we run the NFL or NBA. It's a closed shop, uh, which is completely against what everything is, is gone about. So um, I do think that, um, you know, that really, you know, I, I, it definitely puts a stain on it. I do think, though, in, you know, in a sense that, you um, you know, there will be, there still will be teams, still be clubs open, open to, you know, North American money. Um, I don't think it'll be, you know, the SPACs and the private equity might be smaller groups, um, you know, similar to how, um, you know, the Glazer family purchased Manchester United um, in incremental, you know, portions, you know, you purchase a certain amount and then, you know, years later you, you purchase an additional amount. Um, so I do think that's part of it. Um I think from, you know, certainly, you know, kind of the scarlet letter, um, you know, one thing that, that I will point out is that these owners just became so, um, you know, just, they just lost their focus. Um, you know, that, you know, is a reason why, you know, Ajax, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, um, Lyon, you know, uh, clubs like that, weren't involved at Atalanta. Um, and that's primarily because they have football people running the club at the top. And a lot of these clubs that we're talking about had business people, commercial people running the club at the top. And I think that's the, the disconnect. Um, these, these owners that were from foreign countries are disconnected with the fan bases. Um, and certainly with, you know, where their clubs are, you know, historically, um, you know, for the traditionalists. So um, I do think European clubs will still take, you know, American dollars. Absolutely. Uh, especially minority investments when, you know, owners want to, want to become more liquid or, you know, want to capitalize and, and feel like, you know, they can benefit from an extra 200 or 300 million euros um, for a small percentage of their clubs. No better example of that when you talked about the disconnect with some of these American owners and their fan base than the Glazers. Is that oh. accurate? Very, very accurate. You know, <laughs> I mean, and they've always been disconnected since they, you know, that that's a fan base has, you know, never really, um, you know, never really uh, taken to that ownership group as they've acquired more and more. Um, but the Glazers haven't helped. No, they have not. They have not been forthcoming. They have not, you know, reached out an arm and said, hey, look, you know what, we want to hear your thoughts. A lot of these clubs have, have fan groups um, that, you know, are, that see themselves as a, you know, as a, you know, an extension of, of the club in their community. Um, you know, and, and that's why, you know, they're, that's why they're called clubs, not just a team, not just a franchise, uh, very different than North America. Um, you know, they see this as a, you know, as a face of the community, as a, as a part of that community an imprint. So yeah, the Glazer family, uh, certainly Stan Kroenke at Arsenal has been right up in, in there. Um, and I mean, Arsenal, you know, Arsenal and Tottenham, I mean, the two of them, you know, haven't won a, have won one Premier League title, um, I think, in, you know, 60 years. Um, so, you know, to lump them into that group of, 
of uh, 15 teams or whatever with 12 teams, um, you know, and called them, uh, you know, part of that, uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're considered a big six team because of their, of their commercial revenue, uh, not because of their success on the field. Um, so I think that was also, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a part of it as well too, that, that teams felt slighted um, that, look, you know, how are these teams just getting a seat at the table and, and they're the ones determining it, uh, you know, just based off of, of the, off their business. Do you have clients playing football, soccer outside of the United States? We do. Yeah, we have a couple. Um, none of any of the Super League clubs, um, you know, but, but certainly in some parts of Scandinavia, um, lower divisions in Italy, Belgium. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the, you know, uh, things that is, you know, there's so many opportunities. Um, you know, it almost would be like if, if the U.S. had a different league in each state, um, you know, that that's kind of the equivalent. Um, so if there was an NBA in, in New York and California and, and, and Illinois um, and Texas and Florida, um, you know, that's, that's the equivalent. There's so many opportunities for these players um, and so much hope that, you know, when you're a 20 or 21 year old, you know, by 23 or 24, you can take, you know, a step from one tier to the next tier and, and you can start in Belgium and work your way to Holland and, you know, and, and play in Holland for a couple of years and, and possibly move to one of the big five leagues in Italy, Spain, Germany, France, or, or UK, um, you know, even if it's a smaller club. So to take, you know, those big clubs out of there um, really just, it's just a crushing emotional situation for, you know, not just fans, but players, um, staff, employees, coaches, managers, you know, everyone that's involved. Um, it, it really was a, uh, you know, just poorly and also very poorly executed. I mean, I don't know how the Super League didn't have some better PR ready to go, like when they announced that. I mean, that was just, you know, really bad professionalism on their part as well. Oh, one of the biggest car funkles <laughs> in the history of yeah. professional sports. Yeah. With the attempt at a Super League. Doesn't, doesn't play over there. I mean, it's bad enough when you, you, know, you try and take the Sonics or you move the Sonics and take them to Oklahoma. People are annoyed or pissed off for a while. You do that out in Europe, and that's not a good analogy, but... <laughs> Yeah. You are barking up the wrong tree, but let's leave it for there as we, we give you football, soccer knowledge like nobody else here on the big podcast as we talk about finance and the money behind sports and give them the sports biz. For Dan Devone out in San Francisco, this is, well, this is Dan Devone from Mount Marino. How's that? <laughs> there you go. And reminding you to give them the sports biz. And until next time, so long, everybody. See you, Dan. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.